Thank the Lord for his presence. Amen. I say it all the time. If it was just if it was just a bunch of people gathering in a room in a building, it would be nothing. We would leave unchanged. But when we come into God's presence, we can expect whether there's many or few, every time we come, we know that he's here and we can totally expect that we're going to be changed by the time we leave. Burdens are going to be lifted. If somebody's lost, they can be saved. If somebody needs a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, whatever it may be, wisdom, instruction, peace, God is able to give that. So every time we gather, we're believing God for that. We're not just coming to church because it's what we do on Sunday mornings. We're coming expecting our God to meet with us and us with him. Amen. He's a very real God, and he loves us very much, and he's here with us this morning. Wonderful to see you here this morning. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 14. It's a very familiar account that's given here in Numbers chapter 14. We're going to read the first four verses. Numbers 14, verse 1. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God that we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore, wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword, that our, our wives and our children should be a prey were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. Now, y'all, this just so you know, and if you don't know, this is to refresh your memories. What we just read is immediately following the 12 spies that had been sent to spy out the land for 40 days. The children of Israel had come out of Egypt. They had gone through the, uh, through the wilderness. They got literally to the Jordan River, to the brink of the promised land that God had promised them. And the Lord says, Moses, send 12 spies in the land. And so they took one of the heads of each of the tribes of Israel. This would have included of the 12, Joshua and Caleb. And they went and spied out the land. Go check it out. See what the people are like and where they live and are they careless kind of people? Or are they on guard kind of people? See what it's like. And so they went for 40 days and they crept around and snuck around. And they came back and they're bearing the fruit of the land because it was so plentiful. It was like God said. Uh, and yet the 10 of the 12 spies immediately gave an evil report. I want you to look back at chapter 13 and we'll pick up in verse 27. Numbers 13, 27. So this is when they first came back. The people had been awaiting their return. Tell us what it was like. And everybody was gathered together. And they told him and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us. And surely it floweth with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. And they actually showed them some grapes that they had brought from the promised land. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. And the cities are walled. And very great, and moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. Well, that, some of that's just factual, okay? We saw the children, Anak was a giant. We saw the children of the giants there. Their cities were walled. But let's keep moving down to verse 32. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched into, unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search 
search it, is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. Now, this is their own thoughts. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which came of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. You know, the Bible speaks of an unbelief as not just being, oh, poor, that poor person, they just can't believe. No, the Bible calls it an evil heart of unbelief because they can believe, because God has testified, because God bears witness to us in our conscience, because God testifies of eternal God had power in nature. And God had certainly proved himself to be a very real and personal a capable God to the Israelites by this point. And so for them to doubt God at this time, uh, and that's putting it mildly, was sin. They could not enter in, it says in Hebrews, because of their unbelief. That, that literally kept them out of the promised land that God had for them because of their unbelief. And so I was thinking about this as I was studying. This is really not the, the meat of the, the message, but... Our, our evil report and our unbelief and our doubting God and the goodness of God and the ability and power of God, the faithfulness of God, our doing that at times, that can, that can bring a lot of harm. That can affect a lot of people. You know what happened as a result of this? Again, this is just historical, what the Bible records. As a result of the ten spies bringing this, what the Bible calls an evil report to the people, the people we read, they wept and cried. They wanted to go back to Egypt. And this generation, God says, I swear. He doesn't have to swear by this or that. He swears by himself. This generation is not going to go into the promised land. They're not going to do it. Their children will, will. But this generation was literally that first generation. This is just weeks or months, perhaps, probably months after coming out of Egypt. And they, they got to the brink of the promised land and doubted. And God says, they're not going in. They're not going in. They literally wand, wandered around for the next 40 years or so. And says the Bible says, until their carcasses fell in the wilderness. That's how it's described. Our, our unbelief in God and doubt at times can affect a lot of people. It can affect our children. If they hear us uh, doubting and grumbling uh, against the Lord and not believing God to keep his promises, that can affect other people sitting beside you in the pew and in the church. And so it's important. But I want us to go back to where we opened with in chapter 14. Look at verse 4. They said one to another, let us make a captain. That means a ruler, a principal, a chief. Let us make a chief and let us return into Egypt. Let us, let us go back. Okay, we're going to make and choose our own captain. We don't want Moses to be our leader and Aaron, his brother, and we don't want Jehovah to lead us anymore. We don't want God Almighty to lead us anymore. Let's choose our own captain, one of us, a human being like us. And I was thinking as I was studying this and reading this and just let God speak to you through what he desires to speak to you about this morning, but men are always grumbling against God. Now, I'm saying apart from Christ and true faith in Jesus, men are always grumbling against God. Men are always determining what they will do 
self-determination. Let us make us a captain. Let us go back to Egypt. We're going we're gonna to do this. We're going to do this. And I would say men often in the church, and we have Israel as, a, as an example here, and a wonderful example, but men oftentimes in the church are unthankful. Men oftentimes in the church are unhappy with God's plans for them. They're unhappy about their current situation in life. Now think about these Israelites, and maybe this would relate to us as well, and maybe God will open our eyes to it somewhat. But I think about these Israelites basically paraphrasing, we did what God told us to do, and look what it got us. We came out of Egypt. We wandered through the wilderness. We did everything he said. We got here, and look what it got us. We're just going to die at the hands of the giants, and our wives will be taken. Our children will be taken. Our substance will be taken. Look what it got us. Look where we ended up. And it, it's, it's, you know, Alberto mentioned this in Sunday school this morning. If you don't come to Sunday school, you're missing a great blessing. We're going through the Psalms. Alberto taught this morning on Psalms uh, 20 and 21. But, you know, Hezekiah, he was mentioning something at Bible study the other night. Hezekiah, when he was king of Judah, and the Assyrians were a mighty world power at that time. They had been taking over all these other countries and just wiping them out. Okay, now it's time for them to take Judah. And so the king of Assyria sends some of his servants to speak in the Hebrew language so the Jews would hear them and say, don't let your king comfort you and tell you that God's going to help you. He's not going to help you. Your God's not going to help you. Go ahead and surrender to us and have a little bit of peace and we won't destroy you. Just surrender to us. And that is that is. A picture of our enemy. Satan is always wanting us to go back. Always. He is always wanting us to give up. He is always wanting us to, to uh, compromise. To say, to serve God. I did everything he told me. and Look what it got me. I'm stuck here. I'll do better off on my own. And that's how Satan, that's the, the voice of our enemy. We have an enemy. And he's not just after, you know, physical things. He's after your faith. He wants to destroy your faith in Almighty God. That's what he's after. And I was thinking about this when Jesus was on the cross. There was the Pharisees mocking him, right? Mocking him on the cross. He's dying for their sins and they're mocking him. Okay? Uh, and this is what they said. He trusted in God. This is saying out loud publicly to the Son of God as he's dying for their sins. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. That's just the devil speaking. In other words, Jesus, you know, you, you thought you were this miracle worker. and did, Look where it got you. It got you on the cross. Well, no, he got himself on the cross. He came to die for our sins. But that is just the enemy coming and bringing that that ridicule and that mocking trying to bring discouragement. These ten spies, you can see why the report was evil. It wasn't just, we went there and there were really big giants and it was kind of scary, but God can help us. It wasn't like that. It was like, we want to, what did God, if God brought us here to kill us by a horrible death. Let's make our own captain and go back. And the devil wants you to go back. Guess what they did at this point? It says they cried. 
and wept that night. All the congregation, oh, they cried. And they wept all night. You know what they were doing? They were feeling sorry for themselves. I could put myself at the head of this line, but have you ever felt sorry for yourself? You don't have to answer me. Have you ever felt sorry for yourself? Certainly we do. We, don't, we feel sorry for ourselves. They wept and they cried all night. And then they began, they murmured against, they murmured against Moses. They murmured against Aaron, the leaders that God had chosen to, to set over them to be their leaders, faithful leaders, especially Moses. They wished at that point that they had died in Egypt. We, they wished that they said it had been better to have died in the wilderness where they had been or where they currently were. Basically, their thought was anything would be better than this. Anything would be better than what God has done. And so I began to think about this. They, they were right on the brink of blessing. And I think that's a lot of times where the devil comes at us the hardest. You've been holding on to the Lord, and it feels like just a threat, okay? You've been holding on to your sanity. You've been holding on to a relationship. You've been holding on believing God for a breakthrough, for a miracle, for a healing, for a, a turn, for the better. Something in your life, possibly. And, and where you could be right on the, the brink or the cusp of God doing it. God turning your, your night to day, so to speak. You're right on the brink of, you know, I didn't, it's not a study on Hezekiah and, the, and those that lived in Judah at the time, but God delivered them with a mighty hand. They trusted in God. It's one of the few good kings, okay, that Israel had, that Judah had. And a lot of times I think we're right on the brink of that thing we've been longing for, that, that promise of God that he's, held, that he's given us that we're holding on to, and Satan wants us right there to let go of the rope and say it's no use. He wants us to turn it loose right there. I heard the definition of a hero one time is a hero is the one that hangs on for one second longer. He just hangs in there and hangs on one second longer than everybody else. If he's fighting and standing alone in a battle, he hangs in there one second longer. Hangs in a little bit longer than those around him. That's the hero. And we have heroes of the faith, and they were right on the brink of blessing. And a lot of times I think God is, is testing us. I know he's testing us through the trials of adversity and affliction. They're not pointless, brainless, senseless hurtful things that come into your life. There are opportunities for you and I to trust God and to see the goodness of God and to grow. They're not just mindless, I'll be mean to these people. I'm going to make this person sweat it out a little longer. That's not our God. We know the character of God. God is love, right? And he loves us. And so he's testing us and proving us and bringing us through. And we say, God, I can't hang on one second longer. And he says, you can't. Keep your eyes on me. I'll hold you up. And he holds us up. And guess what? We've made it not only a second longer, we've made it a whole year longer. And we're still hanging in there, and God helps us. But, but we're to wait with hope and expectation. But these Israelites, at that moment, okay, and it was just in their hearts. What was in their hearts was coming back out of their mouths at this time. This was already in their hearts, okay? Disgruntled. When everything's going great, who can't serve God when everything's just going great? 
you know, basketball player, every shot I throw up, it goes in. I throw up, it's going in. Everything I do is just perfect. Who, who couldn't serve God when every single thing is just perfect? You never stubbed your toe. Nobody ever looked at you cross-eyed or made fun of you for being a Christian. You know, who couldn't serve God like that? But it's not like that. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We have peace in Christ. We have the joy that he gives us. Our fulfillment of our salvation is coming when we get to heaven. But, but the, these Israelites, they disliked, and that's putting it mildly, they disliked their current position, you could say. So relate it to your own life or my life, okay? They, they disliked their current position. They disliked their circumstances in life. And they were not displeased at all with their God and what he had done. They did not believe God. They did not believe God to bring them into the land of promise. He had promised it to them. They said God will not and cannot keep that promise. We saw it. God must have not seen the giants that lived there. You think God didn't see already what was there? They already had walled cities and vineyards and everything and houses that Israelites were just going to actually possess because God was going to chase out the enemies. They did not believe God. We've all doubted God from time to time, but we don't live in unbelief. Amen? If you're born again, we don't, we're not, we don't live in unbelief. We doubt God, and there's times our faith... Faith seems like it's almost snuffed out, and God doesn't let it get snuffed out. Praise God, he's able to keep us, and we keep our eyes on Jesus. But they, they disliked where God had brought them and how things had turned out. You know, there, when in the Psalms, I think it's Psalm 78, where a really long psalm, and, and David is recounting almost historically the wanderings of Israel through the wilderness. And he makes a comment there, well, it's the Holy Spirit, but he makes the comment that the, the children of Israel, just the congregation as a whole, they saw the works of God, but Moses knew his ways. And there's a big difference. They saw the fiery pillar and the pillar of cloud, and they saw the Red Sea part. They saw manna from heaven, and they saw water come out of a rock. They saw all these things of God. They saw these miracles, and everything's great when God's doing for them. Okay, But Moses saw not only the works, he saw the God behind the works. I know this God that's doing those works. And he came to know the Lord more and more, the God who's doing these works. And so, um, again, it's an evil heart of unbelief. They did not believe God to bring them into the promised land that flowed with milk and honey. They did not trust Jehovah. The Bible says of Job, was everything going great for Job in that trial that he went through? I still say to this day, I, I, other than the Lord, we don't read of another man that had that much adversity, heartache, that quickly just come upon him. Read it. Read it sometimes through Job and see in the first couple of chapters what happened to him, what God Almighty allowed to happen to him. But the, Job says, though he trusts me, yet will I slay him. I'm sorry. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And so here's the, the Israelites get there and they say, God's going to let us die here. And we're, they did not believe God to bring them in. Job says, even if my God slays me, I'm going to trust him. That's a faith that can't be. Did he have doubts? Did he have some 
wished he'd never been born and so forth? Absolutely, read it. It's all there in black and white for us to read. But in all this, the Bible says, Job sinned not with his mouth. He didn't sin against God. He didn't understand it. He didn't particularly like it. But God was still his God, if you know what I mean. He still, God was still his God. And no matter what happens in our lives, we need to be at that point. If he washes everything away, God is still my God. He is still my foundation. And if he slays me, I'm still going to trust him. I'm going to trust in him. The Israelites did not. They refused to believe him. You know what they refused to believe about God? They refused to believe him to be good. They didn't believe he was a good God. They thought he was a good God when the manna was coming down when they were hungry. They didn't believe him personally to be good. They didn't believe him to be God. They didn't believe him to be holy. They didn't believe him to work on their behalf. They did not believe him to keep his word. They did not believe him to protect, protect and provide for them as he has promised. They did not believe him to bring them into this land, even though he had promised it to them and all, even though he had proved himself. There's some point, uh, there's some point when God has proved it over and over and only you and the Lord know, I guess, how many times does he have to prove himself faithful before I really get it and say he's faithful? How many times does he have to do that? The next, next little trial that comes, or big trial, this is bigger than the last one, and we panic, and we, we want to make our own captain and go back to Egypt. We want to give up and throw in the towel, so to speak. They refused to believe him, okay? We can do better on our own, was their thought. Let us set off on our own. We can do better than God's plan. We can do better anywhere than being killed by these giants trying to take the promised land. We want to go back. And we'll just read this from a couple of scriptures. This is from Isaiah 1-4. I'll just read it. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. You know, there's no place in the kingdom of God for children of God that are born again, born of his spirit, to go backwards. We might, we might stumble and, and fall, commit a sin after we're saved, and we say, what in the world? And we get up, and if we come to Jesus, he's faithful and just to cleanse us and to set our feet, you know, get it back on the rock. Let's keep going. Your life's still built up on the rock. Come with me. You stumbled and bumbled and fell here, and you wandered around for a little while longer than I wanted you to. Come on. But there's no place for a child of God to go backwards. Jeremiah says the same thing. Thou hast forsaken me, saith the Lord, and are gone backward. You've forsaken me and gone backward. Isn't that exactly what Israel's doing in Numbers 14? They're saying, let us make a captain, not Moses, not Aaron, and not Jehovah. Let us make us a captain and let us return into Egypt and go back. So we, we want to go back. And I want to ask you this question. Have you ever wanted, as a child of God, you have to know whether you're a child of God or not yourself. You have to know if you're born again with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit bears witness with your spirit if you're a child of God. But as a child of God, have you ever wanted to go back? Have you ever wanted to go back to the life you had before you came to Christ? If we let ourselves squander around in pity long enough, we will. We will. 
The Bible says that Demas, at the end of Paul's life, Demas, if you're reading some of the other epistles, was a co-laborer with Paul in the gospel. And Demas, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, Demas has, Demas has forsaken me and has departed, having loved this present world. He walked with Jesus. He walked with Paul. He walked in telling other people about the Lord and probably suffering at some point for the Lord's sake. He got to some point where he took his eyes off the Lord. You know what? I'm tired of this. I'm tired of being persecuted for righteousness' sake. I want to go back. And he did. Having loved this present world, we're to love the Lord. Love not the world, the Bible says. Neither the things that are in the world. Demas went back and just wonder, have you ever wanted to go back? We want to go back. We would rather go back. What, what was the life like in Egypt? Weren't they, weren't they for about 400 years, especially towards the end of that 400 plus years, crying out for deliverance? The Lord told Moses, I've heard the cries of my people. I've seen their affliction. I've come to deliver them. He told Moses at the burning bush. The Lord saw it. He came back to deliver them. And they said, we want to go back there. Just a foolishness. It's a spiritual foolishness and hard-heartedness. We want to go back. They were slaves in Egypt. Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten? We want to go back there. This is the ninth. Right here what we read in Numbers 4. Ninth of 12 major complaints that the Israelites had in this part of their history. And they're wandering and coming out and so forth. They were dissatisfied with Jehovah. They were dissatisfied with how he handled everything, with how things had turned out for them. This is not what all, at all what we had expected, God. We didn't expect to get here and have to face giants. You know what I began to think as I was studying this? God have mercy. God does not like complaining and grumbling. He has proved himself faithful, and it's what do we choose to think on. Do I want to think on how I don't like my circumstance right now and how I'm having to wait longer for something to, for God to do something? Well, we should be thanking Almighty God. What were we? Who were we? Where were we headed before he saved us? We need to remember. Forgive me. For, don't just forgive the, the Hebrews. Lord, have mercy on them. I'm praying, have mercy upon me. Forgive me. You, Lord, are the potter. I'm the clay. Has not the potter power over the clay to make the vessel as he wants to? What can you say? Can you argue with that? It's a rhetorical question. You put your hands in your pocket and you step back and you say, Lord, you're the potter. I'm the clay. Do what you desire to do. I was lost. I was hell bound and deserving of it. And you saved me. You set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. You sent your Holy Spirit to live inside of me. And on and on and on and on that he's done for us. You gave me the gift of eternal life. You forgave all of my sins. You understand? And we begin to think on this. You're the potter. I'm the clay. I want you to read. You can keep your spot there in Numbers. But turn back to Exodus. Chapter 32. The Lord had called Moses. This is in the wilderness. After they come out of Egypt. Called him to, to meet with him up on the mountain. He was going to give him the law. 
the Ten Commandments. Forty days and nights, Moses up there praying. Didn't eat or drink. He's just with the Lord in the presence of God. And in verse 32, verse 1, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down, he didn't actually delay. He was up there just as long as God wanted him to be. We look at it as a delay sometimes. It wasn't a delay. God wanted him there 40 days. Perfect timing. Perfect timing when he came down. We look at it as a delay because that seems way too long. He wants us to trust him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And I will maintain my integrity before him, Job says. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, or get up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this man Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. Skip down to verse 4. And he received, that's Aaron, received them of their hands of gold and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, he said, they said, I'm sorry, these be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. Aaron was totally in the wrong here. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That has to do with idolatrous worship, that last part. They just rose up and and all kinds of pagan stuff going on before their golden calf. And the Lord said unto Moses, Get thee down, for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made, un- made them a molten calf and have worshipped it, and has sacrificed thereunto, and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. This was just even a shorter time. This was probably made possibly just days or weeks out of the after they had come out of Egypt. They had already seen the Red Sea part. And when you think about Israel, they had been in slavery, uh, especially, I said, intensifying towards the end of that 400 and almost 440 years, I think, period that they were there. And when God brought them out, the way the Bible describes it, they didn't come out by the skin of their teeth. They didn't barely squeak out and sneak out undercover. The Bible says they came out with the high hand of God. The Bible says that they, they didn't have to fight. They didn't grab a sword and say, let's, let's get a rebellion and try to cast off our oppressors from us. With military strategy, they just had to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. They walked out with their little ones, their little children with them, walking out, and they got their sheep going behind them, and they got their little... Uh, blankets rolled up on their shoulders and whatever food they can carry and they're just going out with the high hand of God the Egyptians said go Pharaoh said go and the people wanted them to go and in a, in a sense they found favor with the people and the people loaded them down with gold and silver and jewels so this is how they're going out they're not sneaking out sneaking over a wall at night they went out with the high hand of God And by this time, by the time we get to Numbers 14, now they see some giants in the land, and now they're going to panic. And now they're 
to me, it says they never did really believe the Lord in the first place. Like I said, when things are going great, it's hard to tell who really is serious about or knows God or is walking with God and is sold out to God. When everything's just going great, every day, everybody's happy. A lost person would be happy. But when the trials of affliction come and the inwithities come, that's when it begins to separate. Who's serious about walking with God? Who's serious about knowing the Lord? This was a trend or a pattern in Samuel's day. I'll just read it. The people stood up and they said, Samuel, you're getting old. I'm paraphrasing. He was a wonderful man of God. You're getting old. And your sons, they don't walk before God like you do. And you're about to die and we want a leader. It's before Israel ever had a king. We want a king like all these other pagan nations around us. They forgot Jehovah was their king. We want a king like they have. And the Lord didn't displease Samuel, and he went and talked to the Lord about it. And the Lord said, do what they say, Samuel. They have not rejected you. They've rejected me that I should not reign over them. This is, isn't this how serious it was when they, they make a golden calf and worship it? Isn't this how serious it was when they got to the brink of the promised land and said, we're not going to do what God says. We're going to make our own captain, and we're going our own way. It's a total rejection of Jehovah. It's not only we're not really happy with the way things are, we're not always happy with circumstances, but they rejected the Lord. Jesus gives a parable. So this is a pattern. This is a pattern for Israel, and it could be a pattern for, for anyone as well. But he gives a parable in Luke 19 about a certain nobleman went and sent messengers because he desired a kingdom. And the people said to those messengers, we will not have that man rule over us. Jesus was given in the sense when Christ came, the Jews said, we don't want this man, Jesus, to rule over us. That's really what it comes down to. Who's going to reign and rule? And I want, and I'll bring this to on and, and move forward, but how often we as Christians are dissatisfied with our lives. We're dissatisfied with our circumstances. We're displeased with where we've ended up. I've obeyed the Lord and look, look what's happened. Look where I've ended up. We're discontent. We begin to look around, perhaps, maybe. We see others in the, in the church or other people around us and think they have it better off than we do. Our eyes are in the wrong place. If you look hard enough, you'll find people that have maybe in circumstances better than you. You're going to find a lot of people that have them a lot worse than you too. But that's not what we're to do. Let God deal with all that. You and I are to keep our eyes on Jesus. If we may go and say, I read these miracles that God did in the Bible, but I don't see it happening in my life. You know what God would say? Then wait. Wait a little longer. I'm claiming this promise and God hadn't done it yet. Then wait. First of all, are you sure that promise is for you? Yes, I'm sure it's for me. Then hang on. We're dissatisfied with the way we feel God has dealt with us. We have little or no hope for the future. Little or no hope that God's going to move or answer that prayer or move in some big way. These, these Israelites would rather have gone back and died in slavery in Egypt or in the wilderness rather than have Jehovah 
reign over them. Here's what we forget. God had promised them. God had promised them if they had listened to the promises, Moses believed, Joshua believed, Caleb believed. The Lord said, and he shall deliver, the Lord shall deliver their kings, the Canaanite kings, into your hand. And thou shalt destroy their name from under heaven. There shall no man be able to stand before thee until thou have destroyed them. God had promised them to deliver them. That evil report had affected a lot of people. The Lord had promised them, and Joshua believed it, and Caleb believed it. They said, oh, I want to read what Joshua said. This is actually what Caleb said in the chapter 14, a little further down. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. The, the, the same circumstances. This is one of the things that's amazing about that whole account about the spies. There are 12 spies. They walked on the exact same trails. They peeked over the walls and through the bushes and looked at the exact same enemies and cities and how they could come back with such different reports. If you're still in, in Numbers 14, I want to read one more passage. The difference in faith and unbelief. Sorry, y'all. Verse 7. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, he will bring us into this land and give it us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. O only rebel not against ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of that land, for they are bred for us. What a different one is saying they're giants. Compared to us, they, we look like grasshoppers. You ever seen a grasshopper? Pretty small, right? You step on it if, you can, if you're fast enough to get it. Okay. And they said, we, look, we feel like grasshoppers compared to them. And what, is, what Joshua and Caleb says, Caleb says, they're bread for us. You're just, we're going to just eat them up. We're just going to eat them up. Okay. They're nothing if the Lord delights in us. Only rebel not against and neither fear them. They're bred for us. Their defense is departed from them. And the Lord is with us. Fear them not. That's how God wants us to go through life. We say the, the cabal and the, and, the, and the powers that be and they're orchestrating things against our, our lives. And yes, they are. Whatever you want to call them, they're powers that be that are not elected officials for the most part. And they're pulling strings. And they have bad plans for you and for me. And yet, God is our God. God's not their God. God's our God. God was not the God of the giants in the land. God was the God of the Hebrews, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
and Jehovah. He was Joshua's God and Caleb's God. And guess what? When all the people wandered and died in the wilderness, guess who got to go in the promised land? Joshua and Caleb. And they had their inheritance. And Caleb says, I'm as strong this day. I'm ready to go get some giants. I'm as strong this day as I was when the Lord made that promise to me. 40 years before, roughly. And he was. Because it wasn't his physical strength. It was the strength of Almighty God. And he took the land. If you want it, the Lord says, go get it. Go get it. Well, they're giants there. Okay, we're going to get them. And he went up and he took the giants at 80 years old. And he took their land and possessed it. Because God was with him. That's how the Lord wants us to be, y'all, to trust him. How often we're displeased, we're disgruntled, and we want to go back. At least in part. We want to we handle things in the scripture in our own way. God's saying, wait, we need to learn from the scriptures. You know, all these accounts, so what do I have to do with Israel? Well, for one thing, our Lord and Savior came as a Jew. Salvation is of the Jews. Our Lord and Savior came as a line of tribe of Judah. Okay? We're not Jewish. We're Christians. And that same Messiah, the Messiah of the Jews, is our Savior as well. Okay? But also, the Bible tells us, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I believe, that all these things happen to them, for examples, to us, upon whom the ends of the world are come. What happened to them and how they believed or disbelieved God and how he dealt with them, kept them, reproved them, loved them, protected them. Those things are written for our admonition, are our encouragement, are our instructions. All these things happen to them, for examples, to the church, to those that are believers. So it, there is a real purpose in what happened. So I'm going to bring this to a close. They desired a captain. And they wanted to go back. We want to, maybe as Christians, we want to abandon being a disciple of Christ at the first sign of trouble. This is why the Lord, if you read through the Gospels, he tells them, you're going to be hated by all men for my name's sake. And the time's going to come that he that kills you thinks he's doing a good, good work. He wants to lay it out there so that people will know ahead of time. Is it worth it? Yes, a thousand times. Yes, a resounding yes. But he still wants to give the reality. You're not going to be elected senator, probably, or mayor. We're going to be hated by all men for his name's sake. Maybe you will be. Maybe God will put you in that place. He put Daniel in that place and Joseph in that place. So I'm not saying he can't. I'm simply saying he gives the nature of it. And so many of the Lord's disciples, and just like the Jews, the first sign of trouble, they want to bolt. Well, it's not the trouble that made them bolt. That is what was in their heart made them bolt. Because they were already that before. And they were coasting along while everything was good. And when the trouble came, it simply revealed who and what they were. It simply revealed their faith or lack of faith in Almighty God. I'm going to close with a thought here. The Lord never told us that it was going to be easy. If you know that scripture, show it to me. He never told me that it was going to be easy. He said he would be with us. He said he would bring us through. He said it would be worth it. He said he would keep us. 
Jesus had 70 disciples at one time. I'm going to close with this. We know the, the story in John chapter 6. He starts talking about uh, whoever, whoever doesn't eat of my flesh and drink of my blood has no part in me. And he said, the words I speak, their spirit and their life. He wasn't talking about taking a bite out of his body, okay? He said, I'm the bread of heaven, the bread of life, which came down from heaven, if which a man eats, he'll never die. Faith in Christ is what he's talking about. Identifying with Christ, eating and drinking, so to speak, to, to take Christ, all right? He's not talking about physically drinking his blood. And so uh, it says a lot of these disciples, again, he had 70 in addition to the 12, and it says, from that time, many went back. What did Israel want to do? They were on the brink of the promised land. They were there. They had been in it and seen it. They saw the grapes and the houses, and, and they saw it. And they said, we, we're going to go back. We're going to go back to slavery and bondage. From that point, that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. It was, that was it. That was it. They reached some point. It wasn't the point that did it. It was what was in their hearts revealed by that hard saying that Jesus made. They didn't get it. They didn't like it. They didn't understand it. And they said, this, forget this. Let's go find, make us another captain. We'll find another savior to follow. But there's not another savior. There's one. Okay? So Jesus, they leave, and he doesn't go chasing after them. Wait, 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 wait. Come back, come back. I didn't mean it. I'm sorry, I'll make it easier for you. Nor did he do that with the rich young ruler. It's not a parable. That was a real person, okay? He didn't run, wait, 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 wait. You don't really have to sell everything and come follow me. I didn't mean it. Come on, get back in here. He didn't do that. He tells us what it's like, and he says it's worth it. And he tells us to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. And in the end, we're going to have all the blessings of God. We have them now, but it's fully going to be realized in heaven. No doubt about it. So then he turns to the 12 after these others left. And he said, will you go away also? And you know the passage. Then Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That was it. End of story. That's what we have to believe. We have to know. We believe and are sure. You have to individually believe and be sure and know, and then you'll stand right there. That's the profession of faith, so to speak, that Christ builds his church upon. Not Peter, but Peter's profession of faith. Upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against that. They're not going to prevail against Christ, and they're not going to prevail against the church of Christ. I want to be in, in Christ. Giants are not going to prevail. Your worst nightmare circumstances are not going to prevail. Okay? Keep your eyes on Jesus. D, you can come. And so if there's anything in you, I know that the Lord convicted me as I was studying all week on this. Is it, do you, are you ever displeased with your lot in life? So I'm a Christian. I do everything God tells me. And look, that's kind of how the Israelites, look what, look what it got me, so to speak. Maybe it's just in one situation, you know, prayed a million times for healing. I'm still sick. I'm worse. Uh, and we think we just don't like it. We don't like it. And we, we begin to grumble and complain. And Satan's like, yeah, keep on. Keep right on doing that. 
keep right on doing that. Pretty soon you're going to make your own captain and turn and go back. Don't do it. Keep your eyes on Jesus. It's worth it, okay? These altars are open. I want to just pray for us. You come, worship.